I'm Alan Steinfeld, and this talk is divided into two parts. First, I want to give a tribute to Contact in the Desert, which I've been involved in since the beginning and seen all the incredible speakers come through here. And actually, as part of that involvement, it's part of what I witnessed there. I actually compiled this book, Making Contact, which is a collection of essays, mostly by people who are at this conference who have done what I feel the best research in the field. And so I'm going to be talking about all the people in this book and giving a little glimpse of why I feel they are so important. In the second part of this little talk, I am going to give an overview of what I think is really happening with the phenomena. So the book is about many different perspectives, and I distilled what I think from all these perspectives, because no one really knows what's happening, but I've taken what people have said here at this conference and in other places, particularly the what the Pentagon is saying and people like Luis Elizondo is saying about the phenomena. I've taken all that and tried to understand what the UFOs, the ETs, the phenomena, as it's been called, why it went from UFOs to UAPs. I'm looking at all that and creating my theory about what's really behind it, how they're operating, and the sort of mindset that we need to look at that technology and start to make sense of it. That's the problem we're facing now. No one, not the government, not the politicians for sure, not the media, absolutely not, can make sense of what we're seeing in the sky, the interactions with people in their personal experiences. So in the second part, I actually quote one of the people I also mentioned in this book, John Mack, Professor John Mack, who was looking at alien abductions from a psychiatric point of view and saying these people are not crazy. But what he did affirm that in order to understand this phenomena, we need to have other ways of knowing. And that's really the essence of the second part. What are these other ways of knowing? Can we grasp it? And how can we start to make sense of something that's not rational, that's not linear, but we have the capacity to understand? Okay, so I'm going to start with some of the people in this book, and as a tribute to all the great names that have appeared here over the years that have written a little essay in Making Contact, Preparing for the New Realities of Extraterrestrial Existence, I start with this. From deep, deep in outer space to planet Earth, of Sydney comes a time, an event, a place, a message of making contact. There is no better time for a book like making contact. I'm George Norrie, host of the national radio show Coast to Coast AM. Alan Steinfeld has put together a well-conceived collection of writings that covers it all. This is a book most needed at this time because Making Contact presents the opportunity for us to prepare to meet advanced civilizations. Someday, somehow in the future, the conflicts that have plagued our species for eons 
will come to an end. And by making contact, we will take our rightful place among the stars. I'm really happy about this book. This book is not just my story. It's a collection of my 11 favorite people in the UFO field giving a a multiplicity of, of viewpoints. This is the opening quote. There's one thing stronger than all the armies in the world. That is an idea whose time has come. That's our time now. We're at the threshold of something new and and in a way something imaginable, something beyond beliefs. Civilization is a race between education and catastrophe. Let us learn the truth and spread it far and wide as our circumstances allow, for truth is the greatest weapon we have. Great recordings of people who kind of contribute to this book, people like Nick Pope, who's a real insider. Nick works for the government, or worked for the Ministry of Defense, and he kind of kicks off the book by saying he's the villain. He's the, he's the person no one wants to talk to because he's inside the government. He doesn't want to reveal those secrets. He does say that the government is opening up to these possibilities. It seeks to be an insider's view on the phenomenon in terms of policy and investigation. In other words, everyone has views about UFOs. Some people come to it as a witness or through an experience. Others come to it because it's a passion of theirs and something they've they've looked at um, in in a a sort of private capacity, put a lot of their life into. But there's a small group of people who've looked at this in a slightly different way from within government, whether it's it's government, the military, or the intelligence community. And it's not necessarily a popular view. And I think, I don't know, I, I, we, I think we joked about this, and I yeah. started off my chapter, I don't know if this line survived the edit, but I said something like, every story needs a villain, and no, I know it. it. It did survive because I thought that was a great way to start a narrative with the villains talking, but you're not really the villain in that sense. Well, thank you. And in any case, in many, many movies, the villains are the far more interesting characters anyway. So slightly different view than I. And I knew that you're sort of, you know, big enough personality to, to take a little bit of dissent and variation so mm-hmm. I give it to you and to readers mm-hmm. really in, in a different way through the lens of government telling mm-hmm. people how those of us on the inside view this. And it's not necessarily going to endear me to people, particularly in the new age and spiritual community. <laughs> but as I, as I said somewhere, it is what it is. Right. No, I, I think actually your dissent or your perspective is very important because uh, this is what we're dealing with in disclosure, sort of that government point of view. But also, I wanted everyone to have their own opinion because no one really knows what this phenomenon is about. And I thought if we got enough varied opinions, the reader could put together their own sense of it. Uh, Does that make sense to you? You Yes, it does. None of us own this subject. Mm -hmm. None of us sits as final arbiter on this. Not, not certainly not government. I'm, I'm not one of these people far from it. And I think I get 
into this in the chapter somewhere mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. I say, ironically, those of us in government are sometimes far less certain about this, um, less right. equivocal in our views than many people in the UFO community. Many, many times I sat down with colleagues and said, look, we, we simply don't know our honest opinions. So, so that's right. None of us is judge, jury, and certainly not executioner on, on this. And, mm. and everybody's view is as valid as everybody else's. And that's what I think is so great about your book, that you've got these diverse voices with different backgrounds, different experiences, different areas of specialism, and different opinions. Nick writes the first chapter about government insiders, and then Grant Cameron says, you see a UFO, you were meant to see it. You're part of it. You're part of the whole ball game, and there are no innocent bystanders. I call it the theory of wow because the more I look at the phenomena, the more it looks like whatever we're dealing with just wants you to go wow. It's all about messaging. You start to wonder uh, what's really going on, except that they are putting out messages. The second night I had a UFO setting in 1975, um, I remember watching the thing fly away, and I said to myself, so what's it doing? <laughs> wasn't doing anything so now when i ask people about ufo sightings the first question i ask them is they say so what was it doing and they usually say the same thing it wasn't doing anything it was just there and this is the whole idea why do ufos have lights on them why do they take the blood out of the cow why do they leave crop circles why do they drop up ports why do they drop pieces of metal that make us go like what is going on here with weird isotopes it's the question is are, are they actually coming across the universe to mutilate cows to uh, mess around with uh, have little pieces fall off the flying saucer to put lights on crafts or is this all to wake us up to get us to realize something is going on it's not quite the world you really think it is right. and and so the more i look at it the more it, it sort of appears to me like it's not what i thought it was in 1975. Grant says this is the biggest story of all times humanity meeting the other beings that that is going to change the world. And a lot of us have already met these beings. So I say making contact is really an inside job. We can't wait for the government to tell us it's, it's a reality. We have to go out. I mean, the veil between the dimensions are, are thinning. And we are about to meet these other beings on their terms, you know, on how they think. And it's much more abstract and symbolic. We have to rise to the occasion and let go of the definitive ideas of how things are. I start with the investigators, Nick Pope, Grant Cameron, and then I have JJ and Desiree Hurtock. They fill in after, after that. They talk about the ultra-celestrials, the ultra-terrestrials. In a new book by Alan Steinfeld called Making Contact, and Dr. Jack and I are one of the authors, and uh, we talk about the fact that, well, okay, you can make contact with extraterrestrial vehicles physically that fly around like we see many times and many, like many people have seen over the years. But in actuality, there's also the idea of teleportation or quantum field teleportation where you can be here and then you can be somewhere else. We know the universe is entangled. We know consciousness is a key. So all of this is really starting to expand our consciousness to even go beyond the physical floatsum and jetsum. And the idea that even now 
that's very prevalent that extraterrestrial craft are not limited to the third slash fourth dimensional reality, fourth dimension being time, but that they can work in fifth dimensional reality. So this is what we say in chapter three of our contribution, that all of these discontinuities can be resolved by a higher consciousness physics. It allows us to see we're not dealing with one extraterrestrial society, but several. And even beyond that extra celestial and ultra terrestrial that are in the consciousness or the pure form of evolution that do not need nuts and bolts. And so this is the big picture, as it were, the blueprint to the stars, the passport to the cosmos that we need as we wake up and smell the coffee, a higher consciousness that is more generous and recognizing all members of the human society have had great traditions. There are beings right here. That's why we're only, because are just vibrating at a faster rate. And some people can see them. Some people are awakened to that fact that they're here. We are part of the cosmos. I mean, I know we all think that, but they welcome people who open their hearts and, and can drop the idea of that ego sense of self. This is really the level that we are all being called to. This is the work of the Hurtats. They, they are uh, teaching an expanded reality because they know people are open to this now. So as we detach from the old identity, we start to embrace the more cosmic mm, awareness and being that we really are. And then the fourth chapter is Linda Moulton Howe, who really is one of the experts in the field. She is one of the major, I would say she is the top researcher. Linda Moulton Howe, contact in the implicate order. The implicate order is a David Bohm term in physics where everything is connected. The, the whole universe, you ever wonder why they call it the universe, the one verse? It is all one. I have the fourth chapter, contact in the implicate order, which is my way of saying that underneath everything to the atoms, to the neutrinos, there is a fabric that ties everything at the deepest, deepest level together. And this is the very first time in my life that I ever talked about something that happened to me when I was in grade school and was playing in the backyard going onto a handstand with my legs over a limb. And having done that, coming up from having been upside down for quite a while and looking at a full moon. And as I stared at that full moon, I was there, I was in it. And I knew the moon was hollow. And she gave me a big push and put me at number one on Amazon through her Earth Files. From Linda, I go to John Math, Harvard psychiatrist. He had died about 20 years ago, but there was, an, there was a speech he gave in 1995, and I found that, and I had it transcribed, and, or it was transcribed, but it's never been in print before. And it, it, it's a very contemporary understanding of abductions are real, they happen, He's, he was a psychiatrist. He confirmed it. Um, he's saying these people are not crazy. If something doesn't fit our notions of reality, and yet the people that are having an experience are of sound mind, are sincere, are nothing to gain, are in effect opening to other realities, then it seems to me the responsibility of academicians as well as theologians is to begin to question 
our notions of reality. So from John, I talked to Whitley Strieber, who's probably the, the most famous abductee. He didn't want to go. He didn't have it. You know, he was taken, but he learned to make peace with this and start to evolve his consciousness to welcome these beings, to talk to them on their terms. His latest book was A New World. And this is something that Colonel Corso said to him. He says, you know, these beings are saying, it's a new world if you can take it. That means if you can transcend the old dualities, the old identifications, and live into a new way. So Whitley is responsible for giving us this image of the greys. He was really the first to popularize this. And, and so many people have read this book and started to have memories of what was going on there. This has become the icon of, of what we're seeing as ETs. This gets me to a very key point that I think we should all think about with actually deciding one way or the other. A uh, quote from Terence McKenna is, we are part of a symbiotic relationship with something which disguises itself as an extraterrestrial invasion or presence so as not to alarm us, implying that what we're labeling as extraterrestrials may just be something we could fit into a category and it may be something totally other. It's what Grant Cameron said to me after I finished writing this book. He says, you know, they might not be aliens. I said, Grant, how can you tell me that? I just wrote a whole book about that. But that's a good point. We have to get beyond our limitations and our identifications with categories. And like John Mack has said, and I'll get back to it, we need other ways of knowing. Maybe there's something that we have yet to imagine. You know, like in the 1800s, there were fairies and elves and now there are ETs, but maybe we have yet to imagine what the next level of our own awakening will be. So that's what I talk about in my essay, Extraordinary Actualities, My Journey to the Stars. And I trace my, my obsession with science fiction and then seeing Star Trek, wanting to be an astronaut. I did have this interesting abduction and I never really talked about that. And so it's in this chapter, you know, it's, it's kind of typical, but it happened more in a dream state. So my theory is these beings don't appear in this reality. When they are in your space, and this happened to me, you sort of lose the linear sense of reality and it's almost like you're drunk or high or altered states. There's something that happens where they distort our feel, not because they want to, just because they're thinking on a different wavelength. So we have to become more lucid in our everyday interactions if we're really going to meet those beings on their terms. And I, that's why I talk about the practice of lucidity, um, dream time, really be conscious in your dream time. So they're talking to us from the level that they're at. So the Extraordinary Actualities was actually taken from this quote by Wallace Stevens. In the presence of extraordinary actuality, consciousness takes the place of imagination. That means when we're really present with these beings, they're, for me, it means they're so far beyond what we can imagine. We have yet to really cognize the realities of ET contact. That's why we need to practice being present. Because the more present we are, the more we can interact with that other level of awakening. So 
extraordinary actualities. That's what's waiting for us. And that's what we have to go beyond what we can think it is in order to actually meet it for what it is, to be conscious. That's my feeling. And then my friend Henrietta does an essay on her remembrances, but in a kind of poetic, lyrical way, because if anyone's had um, contact, you know these islands of awareness stand out. And you may forget your dreams in the morning, but you never forget these experiences. And then Daryl Anka saying what he learned over these years of contact. Uh, 38 years with an ETs had this relationship. 10 out of 11 essays in the book talk about telepathy. And Daryl and, and Bashar calls it telepathy. There's an empathic quality. So you're not really hearing someone's voices. You're feeling what they are and what they're experiencing. And when you do, you're syncing up your vibration. You're on the same wavelength. As Bashar has sort of described it, and the reason that he refers to it as telepathy is, you know, he's, he's attempting to get us to understand that there is a different mechanical explanation for a lot of things that we consider to be metaphysical experiences rather than the older outdated definitions. For example, most people would think that telepathy means that we're reading someone else's mind. What Bashar is basically saying is that's not really mechanically what's happening. What's happening is you are getting your own energy to be sort of on a similar wavelength with someone else and therefore when you're on a similar wavelength you actually have the same thoughts at the same time mm -hmm. because that's the thought that goes with that frequency so basically you're reading your own mind but synchronistically you happen to know exactly what the other person is thinking and this is why it's telepathy because you see this example all the time with people who are in love with one another mm. as that vibration that similar harmonic resonance between those people allow them to really be on the same wavelength and very often you'll see that people who are in love they know what exactly what each other is thinking they finish each other's sentences they hardly have to say a word to know what the other person is thinking but that's just because they're having the same thought at the same time mm. because they're on the same frequency so really the idea is the more in love we are with each other, the more telepathic we will naturally become. And from now we go to Mary Rodwell. She talks to a lot of the star seeds. Mary's been around the world, talked to kids five or six years old, remembering they're coming from another star system and the messages of cleaning up our planet and awakening to new ways of using our consciousness, new ways of exchange, and new ways of, of living with each other that we have yet to really take on. So Mary writes a great chapter there. And then he finished this interview with um, Carolyn Corey, and she talks about ET lineages. It's our birthright to just talk to our lineage, talk to whoever we want to talk on the other side of the veil. And so I think that's what I want people to remember. And I think that's what your book does is to kind of to bring up all these different uh, angles and experiences for people to just be uh, uh, empowered. Yeah, and also like people don't realize that we are constantly like the stream of consciousness that connects us to our lineage to whoever we're communicating with on the other side of the veil is it's never severed. Like it's, mm. it's, we're constantly being given information and downloads and communication. Mm. So it's just up to us to, to first of all, acknowledge that 
and to just figure out a way that works best for you to allow this communication to come through. So she says it's important to know the star systems because when you do, because we've all come from someplace else, when you do, you sort of bring the gifts of that, those stars here, that, that system here. You expand humanity. And that's really what we're here to do. We're here not to really leave the earth, but we're here to awaken the earth to what's possible. I just want to end with this little exchange I had with Linda Moulton Howe, who says that when we get that headline, we are not alone in the universe, the world opens up. That is the thing that opens consciousness to these new realities. We get that mind cracking headline, we're not alone in the universe. What does that mean for the population of the planet and for you and the history of civilization? Finally, a truth. As simple as that. If you look back 5,000 years or 12,000 to Gobekli Tepe, and you look at the history of this planet, is demonstrably one in which Homo sapiens sapiens is abused. Because from my point of view, if you are a civilization that evolves for 12,000 years, and you are always under the thumb of another intelligence that manipulates you, and that humans are never, ever mm. talked to, communicated honestly, then we are today in the 21st century, 12,000 years later. We are an abused species. And part of this abused species is going out into the Milky Way galaxy and beyond without a single general human population okay. knowing okay. and it being told we're not alone. Once we do know, what does that mean? What is that? How does that shift our reality? That we are finally, finally being given respect enough for the truth of something so huge. <laughs> We're not only not alone in the universe, and that I would stress there are other intelligences and they really care mm -hmm. about us and they want us to get past this difficult time of lies, deception by other forces that have never told humans the truth. That is why we've got to have this revolutionary headline. Great. And contact, oh, yes. making contact. This is, oh, it is a valuable read for everybody. Thank you. Why is it valuable? Because I know all these people. I know what, how difficult it is to get to facts, to get to a pattern in which it will help other human beings who have never, ever read any of our other books, seen any of our other films, been to any of our conferences. We have got to start where the news on TV and radio and newspapers begin to understand and start reporting what I have been reporting for 42 years feeling like I have been pushing a huge thousand pound boulder up a hill. Mm -hmm. We are at the point where it might finally reach the top. Once that boulder starts going, the whole planet changes in relationship to this universe and the understanding that there's probably an 
infinite number of universes, infinite number of timelines, infinite number of dimensions, and that we, without consciousness, we're tearing into other consciousnesses and dimensions in World War II with the atomic bomb. And we could now solve that, those issues and move forward as a real um, intelligent civilization that's meeting these beings on an equal footing. That's what I feel. That would be my prayer. It's true. We, we have been an enslaved race because we have not been told the truth of who we really are, why we're here, and that we're not freaks of nature. You know, science, mainstream science, you say, oh, life is an accident. But we all know that life is an emergent property of creation. It is the, the, the reason for existence is that life and intelligence and exchange and feeling and emotion is why we're all here. We're here to experience the totality of creation and be joyful. Linda really inspired me to just uh, read this prologue. And it's from this abolitionist, the you know, fighting against slavery in the 1800s. But he talked about the times we're coming into where we need to expand who we are as human beings to welcome a greater humanity. So from 1844 till now, 2021, it says, there are seasons in human affairs of inward and outward revolution when new depths seem to be broken open in the soul and when new wants are unfolded in multitudes and a new and undefined good is thirsted for. There are periods when the principles of experience need to be modified. That's what's happening here. And when hope and trust and instinct claim a greater share in the guidance of human affairs. When in truth, to dare is the highest wisdom. So that's our mission. Let's dare people to, to know there's a grander universe that's waiting for us, waiting for us to wake up and and show the essence of who we are as feeling, loving, total, heart-centered, open-minded beings that are non-local everywhere and part of a greater reality. This is what the next level of reality that we're all on the threshold of. It is really exciting times as we go from one species into the next, as we really transform the active power in our DNA and ignite the biophotonic potential. We are becoming more light. We really are. So this is the time, I think, in history where they're going to say, wow, all, a lot of those people woke up together. They woke up to bring in these new realities and new possibilities and we are the ones that are really going to change the consciousness out here. And we are the ones that are really going to start to make contact. And we are making it now. And this is the destiny of humanity. All this gets me to the second part of my lecture, dealing with the words of John Mack. He says, we're dealing with a phenomenon which violates our sense of reality and which operates in the gray zone between the physical world and the subjective world. We're being asked to prove this by methods of physical science alone. And this is the clincher. But those methods, in my opinion, that's John's opinion, will not yield its secrets until we discover other ways of knowing. Now, what are those other ways of knowing? That's the key. 
that we're looking to discover here. The other ways of knowing is that we have to start to think with a different set beliefs, a different orientation to the world. So in this slide, you see what we're on the right side. This is the great imagination we're born with. And this is what we're taught by the time we're five and six years old, ABC, one, two, three. And that's the problem with this. We have to expand our possibilities. We have to go and access our right brain instead of our left brain. Understanding with our right brain is the key to what John Mack said, other ways of knowing. And we're getting hints about this from the actual government releases. So a couple of years ago, they went from UFOs to UAPs. And you know, there's a new name. It's unexplained aerial phenomenon. Unexplained aerial phenomenon, yep, really? Yep, UAP. That's the latest nomenclature. I so, like the old one. I like UFO. I don't know why. Well, it, I think we can use them interchangeably. Unfortunately, Hillary, they are not the same thing. This is not just a rebranding technique to get people away from the kind of weird connotations UFOs have. This is a key to understanding what's going on. So we are getting these leaks, these kind of revelations. Maybe Hillary doesn't know what the intentions of that are, but whoever told her to say that knows that we're starting, that the government's starting to reveal more about what's going on. So we're getting these little hints, and this is a big one. This is the government saying that they are now relabeling what's been called unidentified flying objects as unexplained aerial phenomena. We are basically going because unidentified and unexplained flying to aerial, but object to phenomena is the key here. So what does that mean? That this is more, this, this thing is more than just craft in the sky. It's like Jacques Vallée has said, if, if it turns out that there are just beings visiting us from another, another planet, I'll be very disappointed. There's so much more to the situation than just craft in the sky. There's a whole paranormal element. There's a telepathic element. There are things that affect our consciousness. And this also seems to be coming out in the government documents. So ATIP, the Advanced Threat Identification Program, which really got the ball of disclosure started, has documents that were leaked that talk about cognitive human interface when you come into the environment of these other, other things. So another thing that comes out in the ATIP document are the interface and human effects, how the phenomena actually affects our thought, the space spatial temporal translations or the time anomalies. So these have to be labeled as more than objects. It is phenomena because it's become a phenomenal situation. So we need other ways of studying this. This goes beyond traditional science. So what do we have to study that? Well, the key has also been in the ATIP documents. The key to hold this understanding was in this last ATIP document that was smuggled out along with the videotapes that were released to the New York Times and the Washington Post and Politico. And it was this line that says, what was once considered phenomena 
is now quantum physics. So we go from flying saucers to UFOs to UAPs, and UAPs is phenomena to quantum physics. Now, quantum physics gets us back to what John Mack was saying. It is another way of understanding the world. This is the other way of thinking. The person that instituted the quantum physics understanding of this phenomena is the guy who's been at the center of the release, the disclosure phenomena. And this is the guy that's been in the news everywhere, Luz Alessandro, and he gives us a hint of this understanding of quantum physics. And here he is talking on Fox News. I'm sure you've got the top uh, physics experts in the world working on this. Can they come up with any explanation? You know, I, I think as we begin to look at this, we're, we're beginning to realize that a lot of this really isn't breaking the laws of physics. What it's doing is really breaking our understanding of the current laws of physics that we that we are looking at. In essence, um, these things, if you look at quantum physics, there's a lot of modeling right now that suggests that a lot of this performance can be explained uh, if you have a, a really deep understanding of quantum physics. The problem is... No one has a deep understanding of quantum physics, but one of the experts in quantum mechanics, quantum physics says, Richard Feynman says, if you think you understand quantum mechanics, you don't understand quantum mechanics, meaning this is a science we have yet to develop. We have inklings of the capabilities of what quantum mechanics is, but we really don't know how it operates. We don't understand the laws in which they function. So when Elizondo says these are the, um, this is a function of quantum physics, he's only hinting at hypothesis. I do agree this has to do with some of the higher laws of, of physics, but but we have yet to understand that. And when we do understand that, and, and I also agree that that's, but you know, the key to quantum mechanics, quantum physics, at that it takes another way of knowing. This is not a linear science. This is not even a objective science. There's a subjective reality that's brought into the observer effect. And this is sort of what began with Einstein and his theory of relativity. Light travels depending on the relative position of the observer. I mean, light is constant, but how it's perceived depends on who is looking at it. So we're in a new ball game for as far as the physics of the universe. And this is what I think the ETs have going on for themselves. They understand this, they understand how to operate the power of their mind because the mind is a subjective purveyor of reality. And this is what we need to learn as keys to this new way of knowing, this new way of working, this new way of being. So the qualities of quantum physics or quantum mechanics are entanglement, connects all things. That means everything in time space is connected. But the more you associate together certain objects or things, the more entangled they are. This is what Einstein called spooky action at a distance. So he couldn't explain it in terms of the physics he had, but quantum physics came along, created an explanation. It's only an explanation. It's not a real science. They're only observing things. They don't really understand how it works, but this is what we have to work with so far.
it appears that UFOs are able to bend time space, maybe not with a hardware technology, but with possibly a technology of consciousness. That's my theory. All possibilities exist in superposition before the results are calculated. That means when you're throwing a set of dice, before the dice land, all possibilities are, are up for grabs there. And, and this is what quantum physics looks like, the realm of possibilities, not the results. This is why we also say in quantum physics terms, possibilities only exist when they're measured. Otherwise, all things are in motion. The universe is in motion. It's only when we take a small observation of certain things that the details, the specifics, as the world come into a kind of collapsing of the wave function. That's so, in other words, the observer affects reality, meaning that when we see the results of an action, let's say the dice land, they no longer exist in superposition. They have we have collapsed the wave function into a result. But if we don't collapse the wave function, if we consider the superposition of all things in motion, we are getting closer, I feel, to the truth of how these UFOs, ETs operate in this other realm where quantum physics is an application of a practical science to move through time and space. Quantum physics comes down to the observer effect. What we think affects reality. And these beings, whoever they are, are maneuvering their craft in this quantum physics way to appear, disappear, move from place to place, move beyond time, because somehow they're able to use their mind to project a reality that they want. We have to get out of linear thinking. We have to think more abstractly because when we're thinking linear, linearly, you collapse the wave function, you say, this is it. If you're thinking abstractly, many possibilities exist at once. And when we learn the power of consciousness to manipulate those other realities, we will use the full capacity of our brain to move from here to there without shifts. We, we have this divine capacity as um, non-local beings to... I teach remote viewing and everybody in the room can get the target just by extending the power of their brain to a non-local location. So we are much more vast and incredible and powerful than our education, our politics, our media, our religion has told us. And that is really what I think the, the whole UFO phenomenon is about. So I've made this association between three distinct elements. So if the observer affects reality or what we see of reality, then we have the power of mind or consciousness to manipulate time space as we know it. So there's the element of consciousness or the observer. There's the element of quantum physics. And both of them are connected, it seems, to how the UFOs, ETs operate in this reality. So I've created a triangulation of these three elements. Because both the UFO phenomena and quantum physics have as a connecting point consciousness. And what does that mean 
consciousness. This is what we're going to look at now. One thing that we might take into account is that consciousness, this idea of consciousness is not localized in the brain, just like the music from a radio is not actually being generated by the radio, it's only being received by the radio consciousness, if we really knew how to manipulate it and control it, we would see could control aspects outside the body. That is really key. John Keel, one of the old time UFO researchers said the real validation must be made of the phenomena in the consciousness of the people. This can only be something that can become real in the reality of the planet is through the experience of consciousness. The other thing I wanna compare that to is what the physicist John Wheeler said in, the, in his book, The Participatory Universe. We're not simply, this is based on his understanding of quantum physics because when you see something, what you see affects you and what sees you affects them. So as you see these UFOs, we become entangled in that awareness. And this is part of the cognitive effects that seem to be happening when people have this UFO contact. So this is not talking about UFOs. He's talking about straight physics. We're not simply bystanders on the cosmic stage. We're shapers and creators of a living participatory universe. Everything is moving. Everything we think affects other things. And I take this statement to to um, kind of explain what Grant Cameron says. There are no innocent bystanders in the UFO movement. Everybody is a participant. And now if we can start to evolve our consciousness, I love this quote by Noam Chomsky, new levels of human cognition can only emerge at new levels of awareness. So as we expand our capacity for being more aware, we start to pick up on other levels that may be in our field that we didn't perceive before. And also Whitley Strieber's comment, the pressure of the close encounter experiences is what the force of evolution looks like when it's applied to the conscious mind. As our mind becomes more conscious, as we become more aware of the capacities of consciousness, this is bringing on what we're calling the close encounter experience because maybe these beings are connected to an evolutionary awareness that brings in a new level of cognition. The experience of contact with non-intelligence is the key that will open the door to understanding consciousness. So this is why there's this threefold aspect to this question. There's quantum physics, there's consciousness, and they're UFOs, and I think they're all related on some level. So one thing the visitors do by accessing quantum physics is not collapsing the wave function. So they don't create a definitive place in time and space, but live in a multiplicity of superpositions. When you're accessing these other positions, you're in hyperdimensionality. So we need to think that way. Our thinking become has become concretized in comprehension. We need to think in a higher level. We need to think abstractly. Quantum physics lead to this new understanding, this new level of meaning means we need to think in the abstract. This apprehension versus comprehension. These are what I feel the levels of 
quantum physics lead to. This new understanding, this new level of meaning means we need to think in the abstract. Abstract thinking means letting go of concrete ways. The ability to be abstract, it was the key to our survival. No other, other animal has the ability to think about objects and situations which are not tangibly phys physical. Quantum superposition of apprehension allows us to be more than just our five senses. It frees the mind to look at more creative solutions to satisfy the basic needs of eating, sleeping, and reproducing. The key is to see the difference, I feel, between signs and symbols. This illustrates the comprehension idea versus apprehension idea. When we see a sign, like a stop sign, there's no question. That's what it is. We have collapsed the wave function into that concretized observation. But when we use that same stop sign in a picture of a polluted ocean, then that stop sign becomes a symbol. It means that is less definable in terms of, oh yeah, I know what that means. It means stop, but it means more than just stop. It means the urgency of stopping. It means stopping a whole way of life. It means an urgency to change our way of living. It takes on a less concrete, but more overview effect of what that image actually means. This is how I feel the ETs are in control of their reality because they don't concretize into comprehension a single meaning. The power of the symbol lies in its ability to convey multiple meanings at once. Words concretize the world into specific meaning. What we get with images an emoji, you may give someone a thumbs up after they say, oh, let's meet. But it doesn't just say, yes, let's meet. It says right on. It means thank you. It means a multiplicity of meanings. Johann Goethe says, symbols are a living, perceptual, instantaneous revelation of the unfathomable. In terms of the symbols, I love showing the drawings of Kamara Jones. You could look at her on Instagram, artsoldier77. And I think she goes into some of the most phenomenal portrayals of ET realities that are communicating in many, many levels at once. This is why I put this key aspect right in the title of my book. The use of the asterisk bestows a variety of associations, such as a distant star, the possible origins of an extraterrestrial existence, or it could mean a new star is rising over the ill-fated stars of the past. On another level, that asterisk placed between making and contact is like the center point of a compass, representing the way consciousness reaches out in all directions. Whatever your association to the asterisk is, it is the initiation into a new way of knowing. That symbol has a nonverbal communication from mind to mind. It is the point of contact. introduce Diane Williams, the founder of the Source of Synergy, and she has a lot to say about 
who we are and where we're going with it. I know your book is out. Everybody should get it. It's an amazing book. I just finished it. On behalf of the Source of Synergy Foundation, I'd like to welcome everyone. And I know many of us believe that the transition of humanity back into a full state of conscious oneness where we all come from can be accelerated by our openness to meeting, communicating, and collaborating with other members of our cosmic family and those in subtle realms that transcend the material cosmos. So this is a huge defining moment in our history and the synergy that can be created by this integrated union has great potential to catalyze the powerful forces of love and co-creation into full manifestation. The source that we're all part of is love, the nature of our highest reality. And love is the force that renders us all equal, regardless of where we come from or what we look like. And we often hear about benevolent and malevolent beings which could be considered a good versus bad narrative. And that is really being put out there. But even on earth, we can slip out of our natural states at times, but our essence is source and we can return to that loving state at any moment. And lately we have been hearing uh, narratives in the mainstream media based on fear. But if we believe that our thoughts and fears create a reality, we can create the antidote of that narrative. And it's essential, especially now that people that have positive experiences of contact share their truth as widely as possible, including in the mainstream media. So uplifting and inspiring narratives are shared. Mm -hmm. And while accounts of seeing UFOs are generally positive, there are stories of people that have had frightening uh, abductions by other beings, which are also important to share. Um, but I think what is fascinating but not surprising is that when people that have had these abductions worked at overcoming their fear and began to send the beings loving energy during these encounters, they could feel the experience move to a higher, to a higher vibration. And after their experience, their lives shifted in positive transformational ways, including having, having a heightened uh, sense of spirituality, more concern about the environment, increased multidimensional abilities, having more clarity about their purpose on earth, and a more expanded notion of reality. So this is a true testament to the power of love. And there was an interesting study I wanted to share conducted by psychologists Douglas uh, Bancock and um, Shui Li, I think her name was, to assess people's reactions about the likelihood that extraterrestrials would be malevolent. And it is not surprising that they found that people who view the world as a hostile place are more likely to think of, of extraterrestrials as being ho hostile. So I think our role as evolutionary beings is to support others to remember who they truly are, multidimensional beings of cosmic origin that know that love is the matrix of all creation and that our world and the greater cosmos is loving, safe, and expansive. Mm. Because our hearts are the portals that lift us to other dimensions so that we can meet others in different locations and realms of existence. We can enter these portals through heart-based coherence techniques where we can tap into the heart's intelligence and many other ways such as entering a gamma brain state through encounters like a UFO exciting or through meditation. 
all these experiences create a direct link with source and that's the matrix of all life. Mm -hmm. And uh, just in closing, just wanted to say in this heightened awareness and expansiveness, we become more intuitive and telepathic. We receive more insights, information and ideas, and we're able to more deeply tap into our innate powers to heal and harmonize. And we also begin to have greater coherence and closer relationships with others, including becoming co-creators with our partners in other locations and realms. And being receptive to them will accelerate the alchemical process of making visible what was once invisible to many. And then we will begin to walk through other dimensions and realities with ease, including tapping into mediums of communication like telepathy and other soon to be discovered ways that all parties are capable of engaging in together. So this is all part of the shift that is taking place now because of the expanse, um, expansion to uh, cosmic worldview through our intention to increase cosmic love and connection through contact with others in the greater consciousness field. And I do have complete confidence that together we can and will usher in the next stage of our collective evolution so that we can return to the consciousness of oneness and the matrix of creation, which is love. So it's a true blessing to be on this journey with all of you. Thank you so much for your wow. service to this evolution. And so now I'd like to go to Jude Kirvin. Uh, she really has this background all the way from Oxford to Stonehenge. And with her new book on cosmology, she truly understands really what's taking place in the heavens. Jude, go ahead. Thanks, Desiree. I'd like to add on what Jean said, I think. You know, my sense is that I suspect our cosmic family, the question they'd ask us is, why did we buy into the illusion of materialism and separation? Why did we buy into it? And my sense is that the potential contacts happening now, because despite the appearance of turmoil, is because we are waking up more and more of us are waking up to remember we are inseparable and we're being seen to do that. And I think we're being supported in doing that, as Elizabeth said. So I think it's really amazing at the moment that at this point of crisis that I feel is a, a potential metamorphosis, that not only are we being contacted ever more overtly and not only are we more and more opening a dialogue of communion and communication, but also we're having now the evidence, the evidence across all fields of research and many, many scales of existence that instead of a universe that is separate and material, our universe exists and evolves as a unified multidimensional entity. And even more so, it has an innate impulse to evolve from simplicity to complexity. So we now have the scientific evidence to show not only that our universe is non-locally unified and multidimensional, but that mind and consciousness are primary. That mind and consciousness aren't something we have, they literally are what we and the whole world are. And that changes, transforms everything. Because it does seem to me that even with the data sets, there can be a cognitive dissonance unless there's a framework to set those data sets within. An authentic, a substantive, a comprehensive framework 
that's both scientifically based, but also converges, as Oscar said, with indigenous wisdom, with ancient wisdom, with spiritual experiences. And that I feel is what we now have. We have this confluence, this convergence of both experiential and data sets, but we're also now have an emergent whole worldview framework that says also that everything in existence has meaning and purpose. And I think that is key mm. because this is a science of consciousness. This is a science of love. And this is a science that shows that we all, and not just we, that our universe is a living, unified, evolving entity. Our planetary home Gaia is a living, evolving entity. We are their co evolutionary partners we are their microcosmic co-creators if we can literally wake up to remember that to remember that we have a cosmic destiny and it seems to me that our cosmic families our multi-dimensional families our intraterrestrial divic and elemental families we have so much support in this waking up and growing up and linking up and lifting up to actually take forward our conscious evolution. And that's why I feel that all of these incredible confluences have come forward as opportunity to literally consciously evolve. And as our recent book as Evolutionary Leader said, this is our moment of choice. And I'm just delighted we're all coming together to make that choice. Perhaps we'll realize one day that who and what we are making contact with is really ourselves. Thanks for watching this presentation. If you have any questions, you can email me at newrealities@earthlink.net. I keep track of the latest updates on UFOs, ETs, with interviews I do on my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash newrealities. I try to talk to the people really at the edge of this ongoing, moving story that has so many different pieces in it.